0: a lot to get through but but not too much so are you ready i want you to get out of 2022 for a moment i want you to think through history i want you to start going back in your brain okay go back in your brain and think through all of the history that you can that's that's our history so let's do it this way see if this works jesus is crucified and the church starts spreading paul takes it on mission efforts and it spreads to cities across europe and north africa And we're into the 400s at this point, and the Roman Empire has become Christian. 500, and Christianity has spread to most of Western Europe. Now look at it start receding here when the Muslim rise occurs, and Islam starts conquering by force much of Africa. Islam conquers the Iberian Peninsula, or a good bit of it. Christianity continues to spread and at this point starts spreading westward Pope Urban calls for the Crusades to recapture the Holy Lands and so the Crusades start after 1000 CE or AD now this is Christianity then Columbus discovers America And when Columbus discovers America, Christianity starts spreading over into the Western Hemisphere. You've also got at this point in time Christianity, a little bit mission efforts starting to work over in Asia, but not a lot. Asia really starts and Africa really starts in the 18, 1900s. And that's how we get to the spread of Christianity, where it is today. That's a lot of history, right? Some of it's not good. Some of it's brutal. There are people who did things in the name of Christianity that are atrocious. There, the, the Christianity. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I can list them. Some people in the name of Christianity endorse slavery. Some people in the name of Christianity endorsed uh, uh, the pogroms and and, and annihilating Jews that wouldn't convert. Some people in the name of Christianity uh, went to wars to try to kill people that were not Christians. Some people in the name of Christianity killed other Christians. Because they weren't the right kind of Christians and they thought it appropriate just to put them to death because Christianity was viewed as a political force. And so you were, in essence, a traitor or a terrorist or uh, a revolutionary if you weren't of the right church. These aspects of our history go back even further, though, because it goes back to a time where, in, in Roman times, the church was actually persecuted. Now, you want the church to be persecuted. That's when you find out who the true believers are. I mean, it's easy to be a believer. I I don't want to throw you under the bus here. I'm with you. It's easy to be a believer when we can come to a church where we don't get in trouble for coming, where the worst thing we have to worry about driving here is getting here on time or speeding or getting here in time for the coffee and the donuts. I mean, it it is a luxury for us to come to church and to be Christians. I come to church, I get to see my friends I don't see very often. I get to come to church, I get to talk about Jesus without fear that someone's going to throw a grenade at me or lock me up. We've got it pretty good. And while we've got it pretty good here right now, we're all acutely aware of what's going on over in the Ukraine. Ukraine right now is suffering. Ukraine is suffering, and it's not simply the Christians in Ukraine that are suffering, but all of Ukraine is suffering right now. And Ukraine suffers, but they're not the only place in the world But it's really interesting to try to be plugged in with some of the Christians in Ukraine. So I went and I just looked for Christian worship in Ukraine. And and before all of this happened, and I watched some on YouTube, some of the church services in the Ukraine before any of this happened. But now since this has happened, there's a wonderful video I want to show you of some Christians in Ukraine who are gathered together in the shelter of a subway station. Singing hymns. Here it is. <laughs> I don't know the song, I don't know what they're singing, but they're bearing testimony to their faith in their king in the midst of a devastating life, family, lineage, genealogy, generational altering time. What's going on right now? And like I say, it's not the only place you throw up a world map I went and looked for the four countries that have the greatest amount of Christian persecution right now. Here they are. Number one, North Korea. Number two, Afghanistan. Number three, Somalia. Kind of hard to see there. Number four, Libya. Those are the top four. I think number five is Pakistan. Now, these are 2021 numbers, year of the pandemic. Are you ready for this? In 2021, over 340 million Christians were living in areas that are high levels of persecution and discrimination. Over 340 million 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith last year. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. 2021 in our world now i'm not here to put you on a guilt trip (laughs) i am here for us to stir up something to pray about i am here for us to stir up something to be aware of and i am here to stir up gratitude in our hearts That we don't face that here right now. There was a lawyer in the early church. His name was Tertullian. He lived in North Africa from about 155 to 220. He's old enough to be called a church father, but he's not called a church father because he was kind of a heretic. You know those lawyers and their theology. But he wrote an apologetic, a defense of the faith. An apologetic from the Latin word apologia doesn't mean, oh gee, I'm sorry. Apologia means I defend So an apologetic, an apology in that sense, is a defense of the faith. My book that you'll get when David's teaching is an apologetic work. It's uh, it's an apology. So he wrote an apologetic. Here's an 11th century manuscript copy of it, the front page. And you can see it. It begins out with the word apology. It's a defense of the faith. And in it, he says... Just thought I'd throw the Latin up there. I figure somebody out there might read Latin. Let's see. It says uh, pluris efficimur quotiens metamor, awobis, simon et sanguis Christianorum. That's pretty profound. History, not theology. It says, we become more. As often as you cut us down. This is my translation. The blood of Christians is the seed. Now it's more frequently translated. As the blood of the martyrs. Is the seed of the church. And that's in essence what he's saying. It's, it's, that's more English. And less just stilted translation. But he was recognizing Historically, that martyrdom of the saints were the seeds that were growing the church. You would think when you kill the believers, you're stifling the church. But it's kind of like Paul experienced when he killed Stephen. It didn't stop the growth of the church, it fueled it. An example. Is the man named Polycarp. Polycarp. Born 69 AD. Died 156. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. Think Turkey. About an hour and a half south and on the coast of Istanbul. Modern Izmir, Turkey. Now Polycarp was an interesting fella. If you don't know about him, let me tell you a couple of things about him. First of all, he was discipled by the Apostle John. Like John the Apostle. Like the one who followed Jesus. Like the one who was at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Bless you. Like the one of John 3.16. Like the one of, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Apostle John discipled and helped this young man who was born just probably four years after the death of Paul, death of Peter. And you can, we've got one of his letters, still readable, a a letter he wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippian letter. And it shows him to be relatively simple, not in a... um, that that's not meant to be in a disparaging comment. Just means he wasn't wasn't a complicated fella. He seems by his Greek to be relatively uneducated, not stupid by any means, but you know, he's not a he's it's not stellar Greek. Okay. He would not, if it had been his junior English theme, remember when we were juniors in high school, we had to write an English theme. Rebecca, did y'all have to write English themes your junior year? He would not have gotten an A or a B. Would have been about a C if the teacher were grading on a curve. Otherwise, maybe a C minus. But it also shows him to be incredibly humble and really caring about godliness. I think he would have been a mentor and a best friend to almost every one of us here. We'd have loved the man. So, as he got older in life, in his 80s, the persecution was really strong of Christians. And he's the bishop of this area. And and the way the church had grown at that point in time, you know, initially the church was really governed by the apostles. Well, the apostles start dying off. But they have elders and they have deacons in each of the churches. But then as the churches grow into these regional campuses... You have one church in many locations. They designated someone as the, the they called him, the bishop, but someone who would be over those various congregations. And that's the way church ecclesiology began to develop historically. So he's the bishop of Smyrna. And uh, those churches. He's in his 80s. And the word gets out that there's a hit on him the government wants him arrested because the government figures if they can get him to recant his faith it will do wonders to stifle the church well the church says you know here he is he's like 85 years old church says you know you need to go into hiding he's a treasure he, did I tell you he was discipled by the Apostle John? <laughs> he was a treasure. So they're moving him house to house. Out in the country. Soldiers come. And soldiers find two young men who are members of the church. And they start torturing them. To get them to blab on where the church is keeping Polycarp. And so the soldiers, torturing these kids, one of the young men says, okay, I'll tell you. Just stop torturing me. And that young man goes with the soldiers. And they go to the house. Now word gets to Polycarp ahead of time, they're coming and so you've got to move. Polycarp says, nah, it's not worth it. The soldiers come, and Polycarp's up stairs, and they say, we're going to arrest you. We're taking you in. Well, first of all, the soldiers are kind of stunned because he's an 85-year-old man. I know some of you folks that are going to be hitting 85 one day are thinking that you're going to be in the prime of life. And you may be up here. But the body starts falling apart at about age 40. It's been my experience. The warranty is out. And anytime you need spare parts, it's expensive. So the soldiers are like, Why'd they send us soldiers? Why'd they send a team of us? This is an 85-year-old man. He ain't going to fight us. Polycarp says, hey, guys, I know you're here. I know you're here for me. I'd love about one more hour to pray. Have a seat. We'll get you some food. We'll get you fed. Are you okay if I pray for another hour? Soldiers are like, yeah, I'd be fine. And the, the ecclesiastical history of this records that that's mostly all that Polycarp did each day at this point in his life anyway. just pray for everybody he could. It was a full-time job. He knew a lot of people. So the soldiers come. They sit and they eat. Polycarp prays for an hour. They say, okay, about an hour's up. We got to go. And they take him to the proconsul. The proconsul with all of the people in attendance says to him, swear a reproach to Christ and I'll set you free. Polycarp responds, 86 years have I, whoops, wrong, he only said have once. 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they order him to be uh, nailed to a stake and to be burned in front of everybody. His reply was You don't need to nail me. I'm not going anywhere. The God who takes care of me is taking me to glory. They light the fire. They don't think he's burning fast enough. So they chunk a spear at him. And he goes to glory. And so many people were watching. And the people then were no different than the people today. Desperate for something real to live for. Desperate for something to give life meaning. Wondering if there's something like that in the world. And there is. Which brings us to our last passage of Mark. Mark eight thirty four through 9, 1. Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples. And he said to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. And I want you to look at something here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. In the Greek, it's got and calling, tone, o'clone is the crowd, soon with the students of his. So he's calling the crowd and he's calling them with the students of his and says... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now Mark could have just written, and Jesus spoke to them and said. But Mark has them with this verb, calling to him. Kaleo is the verb. Pros. Get too close, I can't read it. But But kaleo, he's calling to him and mark makes it a point of saying the crowd with his disciples with his students who are the church leaders ultimately by the time mark's writing this but mark wants us to know that the message that christ here has here is for everyone not just church leaders it's for the crowd jesus is declaring something to everybody this is a fundamental truth and the fundamental truths of the Christian faith include the fact that true Christianity makes no difference between the haves and the have-nots. It makes no difference between the culture. It makes no difference between the country of national origin. It makes no difference between the background. It makes no difference whether you came to Jesus as a prostitute working a brothel in Las Vegas. Or you came to Jesus as a really good Star English teacher. It makes no difference whether you're male or female. True Christianity is a calling that breaks down all of the barriers of this world that divide us. It's why Paul said it this way. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Everyone is one in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples and makes this statement. And he says to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now this word deny, it's an interesting word. Aparneomai is the verb. And this verb means to refuse to recognize or to act in a selfless manner it's a range of meaning, but in the range of meaning, those are the the seminal ideas. either refuse to recognize like uh, um, I can remember one time uh recently <laughs> so when we were trying this case in, in uh, Cleveland, there were four defendants initially. And one of the defendants settled in the middle of trial. And the lawyer for those that defendant that settled was really angry that the company had sent in another lawyer to settle the case. Because that lawyer and the legal team had done some things that frankly were in our opinion outrageous they had done some things that we thought were tinged with racism and and we were we were not going to settle with that company unless an apology was put on the record and the lawyer, the legal team would have nothing to do with giving an apology. So the company had to send in another lawyer to put the apology on the record. And when the other lawyer put the apology on the record and the judge recognized the settlement and the judge dismissed that party and all of the lawyers that were representing that party, the lead lawyer walks out of the courtroom. And as the lawyer who had given the apology said to the lead lawyer, hey, the lead lawyer loudly, in front of everybody, holds up her hand, says, Do not talk to me. I do not recognize you. I will never talk to you again, and storms out. Do you know what she did? She are par- uh, a parneomide him. She refused to recognize. Him. I'm not going to I'm not going to do it. In the same way, that verb can also mean to act in a selfless manner. That's where you refuse to recognize yourself, especially if the verb's put into a form where it's a reflective verb. So it's, I'm I'm going to refuse, and that's what Jesus is saying. If anyone's going to come after me, let him refuse to recognize himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Mark 14, 30 and 31 gives you another usage of this that shows you a good example. Mark fourteen thirty and 31. Let's see. Here's the same verb. Jesus says to Peter, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter says, oh, if I die, I must, I'll die with you. I won't deny you. It's the same verb. I won't refuse to recognize you. I won't say, I don't know that fellow. Now, we can't just read past what Jesus is saying here without seeing that this is a huge shift This is night and day, but the shift is this is where Jesus is saying, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to live recognizing me. I'm not going to live where I'm the center. I'm not going to assert my rights. One of Rebecca's sisters called me one time. And this is a sister who has a tendency sometimes to act and then think. She's growing up out of it. But she was driving and she'd gotten pulled over by a police officer. And she wasn't happy with the fact she'd been pulled over. And she thought the police officer was wrong. And she was crying to me on the phone what can I do he's telling me I've got to quit yelling at him and I said honey he has and she says and I hear her say I am talking to my dad I'll get to you in a minute I said honey he has the ability to put handcuffs you on take you to jail you need to be nice Well, it's not my fault. I can't believe you're giving me a ticket for this. It's not my fault. I said, honey, stop now. (laughs) Okay? The natural tendency of all of us is to think in terms of us. It's part of our fallen nature. But Jesus says that what we're supposed to do is deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. This verb follow him, akalutho, uh, apolutho, this verb follow him means literally just to walk behind him in the same direction. It's like someone's leaving tracks in the snow and you don't want to sink in the snow. So you're putting your foots where they are. Jesus isn't calling us to do anything he didn't do. He says, if you want to come after him, get in his footsteps. But his footsteps are carrying a cross and dying. His footsteps are doing for others rather than himself. He could have been king of this world. He could have lived until this world ended in that body. He could have been ageless. He had an ability to heal disease. Uh, how are you doing today? Well, I think I've got a twinge of cancer. It's gone. Feel like I'm aging. It's gone. He could have. He could have had it all. He could have made every knee bow before him, like the Dark Lord does in all of the Tolkien books, you know. By, uh, But he says, I want, if anybody wants to come after me, then they need to get in my tracks and they need to follow me. Now, why would anybody do that? Why would anyone want to give up a life of pleasing me? Oh, I don't want to be overindulgent. Just please me 70% of the time, 30% of the time I'm into service. Why would someone want to give that up for this following, selfless, dying stuff? Jesus says it this way, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. And this word, save, that we talked about the other day, sozo is the verb. This word sozo has got the idea of saving, but it's the same word that Mark used for healing. This means to save from death, to save from disease. But it it carries from that a meaning or a connotation of thriving and prospering and getting on well. Jesus says, if you want to save your body from death, from, from the ravages of disease that, that end in, in a death without salvation, if you want to thrive, if you want to prosper, if you want to get on well, all of that's wrapped up into this, then you need to lose your life. I, this this verb sozo, I don't have time, but but uh, you can grab this off the internet if you want or or make notes. But Matthew 5, 23, 28, uh, Matthew, I don't know how 4 is in there, six fifty six. Look at some of a uh, Mark, those are all Mark passages. Look at some of the ways he uses this verb. And so he says, whoever's going to save... His life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Again, sozo, both places. You will thrive. You will prosper. You will be saved from death in Christ. Now, I've got to pause for a moment and talk about last week. I don't know if you were here or not. I got to interview William Lane Craig, great man of faith, a great man who's done so many things for the Lord, and I'm very appreciative. There are a number of things he has views on that are different than mine. And one of the views he had was when I asked him if he keeps up with modern culture. And he said, no, I don't see how a Christian could watch TV and these shows, go to a movie, listen to this music. Couldn't happen. And I respect him for that. I disagree with him on that. Okay. Uh, my, my view is, uh, I think one of our daughters will tell you, uh, uh, my concern was never as much that they shouldn't be exposed to the way the world is because we taught them to know what's right and wrong. We taught them to be put off by some of those things in the world my fear was always that i'd I'd sooner police them watching some of the christian stuff on tv that teaches bad theology and teaches some really bad stuff because that they'll think is must be okay because it's christian they know the world And I don't see how you can integrate and relate to the world and how you can find truth in the world that you can open up to reveal the truth of God with people if you're not understanding where they are. So I think there's a value in that, and that's why I'm quoting Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) You better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. No, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance opportunity comes once in a lifetime. It's a story of a rapper. I'm not giving you a whole story because it talks about him vomiting his mom's spaghetti and that's just not pretty. But it's a, it's a, it's, it's a rap song about a rapper who's got a shot at life and you get one shot, you get one chance. Are you going to take it? Jesus is saying there really is one chance. But it's not to be a temporary success on a rapper's stage. It's one chance to follow after him. And to save everything that that you will hold dear for eternity. And for some people this is upside down thinking. But I want to tell you there's a full range of losing yourself that Christ calls you to do. And for some, it just might mean that we don't get to enjoy the amusement park of life so readily. For some, sacrificing myself for the cause of Christ is just saying, I would like to do that, but I know it's not the right thing to do. That would be so much fun. But I know it's not the right thing to do. What am I going to do there? What choice am I going to make? Live for me or live for the right thing to do? Put my feet behind Jesus' and follow him. That's a choice. And Christ tells us, die to yourself. Sometimes you've got to say no to the roller coaster. Because you need to be doing something else. Sometimes you ratchet it up. Sometimes it might be, hey, my job. I'm going to get a better job if I fudge on the details. I'm going to get a better job if I backbite against someone else and gossip. I'm going to get along better if I fill in the blank. Am I willing to die to myself on that and follow after Christ? Trusting that I can lose myself and gain my, my Christ. For some it's more. For some it might mean in this world, arrest, imprisonment, torture. And for some it might mean martyrdom. This whole range is wrapped up in these verses. Verses. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. And so as we look at that, I want to focus on one more thing here. Look at where Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels. So because of me and the gospel. The way Jesus has intertwined himself and the gospel here is really consistent with the way Paul does it. 1 Corinthians 15, Dr. Capes and I were talking about it the other day. Such a clean expression. Paul says, I would remind you of the terms in which I preached to you the gospel. Christ died for our sins, buried, resurrected on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news. The good news, the gospel cannot be unwound from Jesus. It is Jesus. And Jesus saw it that way. And Jesus put it that way himself. For my sake and the gospels. Then he says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is using commercial terms here of profit and loss. We're getting the good end of this deal. God's not asking us to get the bad end. He's telling us this for our own good. I'll never forget, Mom, third grade. You punished me for something I did not do. You did. And I did not do it, and I told you I did not do it, and you said that you thought that I did, and it needed to be punished, and I was sent to my room. And I got to my room, and do you know what I realized? It wasn't third grade, it was fourth grade. Do you know what I realized? In my room in fourth grade, I thought, you know, there's nobody in this world who loves me more than my mom. She's made a mistake here. So she's not perfect. But that's okay. She loves me. And she doesn't make mistakes like this very often. So you get on with life. Jesus is using terms here that come out of Psalm 49. In the interest of time, I won't read the passage, but you can go back and look at it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? How much can you pay to God for your soul and your life? Zippo! Say, well, I got a pretty good bank account. I don't care. Zippo! Well, you sound awfully confident of that, Mark. I am. The psalmist says God owns all the cattle on a hill. What are you going to do to give to Him? He made the gold. I don't care how much of it you have, He can make it on His own. He made the wood on the tree He got impaled upon. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus said, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This is talking in times here too. William Lane was a great New Testament scholar. Wrote a a book on the Gospel of Mark, a bunch of books actually. Um, Died in Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee a little over 20 years ago. He said Jesus was sent to reveal the glory of God in a world whose intoxication with its own glory is well expressed in the thought of gaining the world. For Jesus, this required his submission to the contempt and shame of the cross should it require less for us He said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. Jesus is saying, this is going to cost some of you your life. But not all of you. I think we're probably in this fortunate group of 9 verse 1 we'll get to see the kingdom of God without having to die a martyr's death but remember that's a a scale a range that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be dying to ourselves in the selfish desires of our heart anyway I love the fruit that comes from this thinking and I'm going to finish this is we're, we're just about there but I do want us to look at First Thessalonians 1, 3 through 10. Because this is, this is Paul's, who has clearly been so sculpted and broken by God. But, but Paul speaks here, and he says some great things. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work, Of faith. Our faith should produce work. You don't deny yourself unless you are trusting God. That's a work of faith. That's a labor of love. That's a steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Paul says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He's chosen you. And he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are trusting your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. If you are convicted of sin... It's the Holy Spirit that's convicting you. If you're convicted of righteousness and of judgment, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us. You followed after us and followed after the Lord. Paul's walking in his footprints. Paul gets five beatings. Paul's following in his footprints. Paul dies a martyr's death. But Paul says, you're following us as we follow the Lord. You received the word in much affliction, yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Polycarp wasn't crying. I got arrested. They're going to kill me. He's like, I'm going to see my Lord. 86 years, he's never wronged me. Why would I wrong him now. You became an example to all the believers. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. People see it when you give up for the Lord. People see it. Everybody reports concerning the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God, to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's Paul putting into a letter what Jesus has said in the passage we looked at. And so 2021, 2022 may be worse, but here are our snapshots. Number one, I want to walk in those footsteps of Jesus right behind him. I want to stay as close to him as I can. I want to see where he goes, and I want it to change the direction of my life. And I hope you'll join me in that. And that means losing myself because I'm not looking for where I want to walk that's best for me. I'm looking for where I want to walk that follows my Savior. And in that way, I need to do it deliberately, intentionally. I need to do it in focus. Otherwise, this world starts jumping in and crowding in and crowding out that desire to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, my temperament may be one that's selfishly driven. Or my desires may be ones that are selfishly driven. Or my choices may be ones that are selfishly driven. We've got to be intentional about this. And that requires focus. It's one reason we gather together and break open the word each week. So with that, let me bless you in the name of Jesus and let's pray for Ukraine and people everywhere that suffer for the sake of Christ. Lord, I pray your blessings. I pray suffering for your sake will will cease, but I know it won't. So instead, it is my prayer that you will rule as king. That you will give hope to the hopeless. That you will give faith to those in struggle. That you will give strength to the weary. That you will help us focus and be deliberate people looking to find your footprints to step in and to show this world we're not living for ourselves. We're living for something that's higher and greater and eternal. We're living for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords who loves us unconditionally. To him be and to you be all glory, power, and honor forever and ever. Amen.